Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to jump down to verse 13 through 20. Would like you to, to read along with me. If you don't have your Bible, you can simply look up on the screen. And I'm going to begin reading. And it says this And again, he began to teach. Who is he? Jesus. He, Jesus, began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on land facing the sea. And then he taught many things to them by parables. Jesus always loved to speak by parables. I think if he was living today, he would be right in the middle of Hollywood because Jesus loved to tell stories. So he taught them by parables and he said things like this. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside. Everybody say wayside. Some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. And some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root in it, and it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns. Everybody say thorns. And the thorns grew up, and they choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop, and it sprang up and increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some one hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Look at somebody and say, Listen up. Before I go to verse 13 through 20, we're going to skip down a little bit. Here in this parable, Jesus is talking about how the kingdom of God operates and how the word of God works in people's lives. And there's four different descriptions here that you're either one or four. I wanna challenge you with that this morning and I wanna suggest that to you, that you're either one, one of these four instances. You're either that person who receives the word of God and it falls by the wayside of your heart. You're that person where when the word of God is given, it falls on stony ground where it doesn't have much earth or depth. Or you're that third person who, when they hear the word of God, they receive it or they're around it. They're that person where that seed falls among thorns in their lives. And when it tries to grow, those thorns choke out the word of God and it leaves you without produce or production. Or lastly, and I ho- and hopefully, We're more like this fourth person, and I would like to believe that most of us in here are comprised of that fourth person. And this is that person who has good soil. But that some of those, the first two that are mentioned, which is that person who yields 30-fold or 60-fold, or lastly, which is the perfect case or the perfect scenario, that person who hears the word of God and produces 100-fold in their life. If you had the choice Would you be a 30-fold producer, a 60-fold producer, or 100-fold? Come on, I want to hear you talk to me this morning. 
talk to the preacher. Would you be 30, 60, or 100? See, all of these scenarios are really good, but they're not all God's perfect will. Did you know that God is a seed sower in your life? I want to suggest to you that there's something that you're facing right now that you think is not going to produce anything, but if you stay in position, you're going to yield one of three different things. You're going to either, if you're that good soil, you're going to produce 30, you're going to produce 60, or you're going to produce 100. Again, let me see your show of hands. How many are going to produce 100-fold in your life? Today, I want to preach from a subject called soil and seeds. Everybody say soil and seeds. Now, I know you may be thinking to yourself that you have heard this, these verses many, many times, and to be quite honest with you, I have heard them thousands of times, but I, I don't know if I've ever really heard it preached from this angle. And so I want you to listen up, but before I dive completely into it, I want to first talk to you about this, I'd like to call it the wayside Christian or the wayside heart. This person who hears the word of God and it gets sown into their heart, this is what that person looks like when that seed falls by the wayside. Are you following me? And this is found in verse uh, 13 and 14. And I want you to jump down a little bit. And I'm sure you're going to be, be able to identify with one of these perspectives. Verse uh, 14, it says this. This is Jesus explaining this parable that he had just been given. And he says this, the sower sows the word. Who's the sower? Talk to me. God is the sower. He's the seed sower. And he sows the word of God. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word of God is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes the word that was sown in their life. Can I tell you what disturbs me most about this verse? is that there is no lack of seed being sown in this particular verse. The seeds are not the problem, and most of the time the seed is not the problem. It's where, it's where the seed is sown where it doesn't produce. Or, or the lack of the ground being soiled and tilled and fertilized properly. So this is a soil problem, not a seed problem. Can I tell you there is no lack of churches in our world today? Can I tell you that there is no lack of the word of God being preached? And I've heard it preached with fire and brimstone. I've heard amazing messages on grace. I've heard amazing messages on the promises of God, things that he's promised us in our lives. But can I be honest and forward with you? There is not a whole lot of people that are living out the promises of God to the degree that God wills it. So is this a sower problem, meaning God? Is this a seed problem? meaning what is supposed to be produced in the individual's lives, or is this a soil or a heart problem? I like to, to correlate soil and heart in this matter. So it's, it's whatever the position our heart is in, the condition that it's in will de oftentimes determine what we produce in our lives. And so do you know why we like to worship so long and press through and linger on? It's because we know that the Word of God will encourage us if we just get to a message. But it's so important that the heart gets soiled before the sermon. God, I wish you guys would say amen to that. When we get into the presence of God, our heart gets soiled by the Holy Spirit. It tenderizes your heart. It position, positions you. 
The presence of God has a way of breaking down any fallow ground so that when the word of God is preached and the truth is preached in your heart, it gets sown in good soil. Because God knows that if our heart is in position, we won't produce anything. And so this is the heart that is sown by the wayside. Those, there are some people that I know who love Jesus, who love to hear good preaching, but in the spirit, they're 500 pounds. They have all of this word in them that they're carrying around. But here's the problem. The problem is not that they haven't heard the word of God. They're church people. They've been to church. They go to church. They go to church three days a week, but they're not producing. Just look straight. Don't look to the left or to the right. How many know that you can be in the presence of God and leave this place unchanged? But when you worship God and you allow him to soil your heart, you're positioning yourself to be good soil so that when he sows something in worship, when the word of God comes, you walk out of these doors, you go back to your family, you go back to your workplace, you go back into the world, you step back into COVID-19, you step back into, come on, worldwide chaos, and you bring about change to everybody who's around you. Why? Because you become fruitful and the fruit is not for you. The fruit is to be picked by those around around you so that they can taste and see that God is good. Come on, say amen to that. There is no shortage. As a matter of fact, I want to say today, thank you for that. I love that. As a matter of fact, today on podcasts and all around the world, there are thousands of pulpits whereby the word of God is being preached today, and yet our world is in shambles. My friends, can I tell you that there is no lack of the preaching of God's word in our nation? There is no lack of churches. They're on every corner, but can I tell you what there is a lack of? There is a lack of good soiled hearts that actually can produce when God sows something into their lives. I don't know about you, but I want to produce something. When I come to church, I come to church with intention. Do I come in here sometimes dry? Do I sometimes, when I come in here, do I walk back and forth? Yes, but guess what I'm doing? It's not that I'm feeling super spiritual. I'm tilling the ground. I'm working the ground. I'm like, Lord, my heart is hard. Lord, I can't connect with you right now. But the more I clap my hands, the more that I lift my hands, the more that I lift my voice, the more that I pray, the more I'm tilling the ground of Donnie Smith's heart so that when God gets ready to do something, I become productive. I become good soil. I become fruitful. Look at somebody and say, be fruitful. Be fruitful. I can hardly scroll on Facebook. I don't scroll much, if I can be quite honest. But when, if I do scroll a little bit, I can hardly get past two or three scrolls, again, that's rare for me because I try to stay off Facebook, without some type of inspirational post. There is no shortage in seed, as I said before. As I think about in the days of old, when I was talking about Peter's shadow, we're talking about Peter who denied Jesus. We're talking about Peter who walked away from Jesus, who went back to fishing. He actually cursed He was a Christian who cursed, like a couple of you guys. I'm teasing halfway. He was a guy who walked with Jesus for three years. We're talking about Peter who cursed. I mean, in the last waking moments when they were in the garden, he took his sword and cut one of the Romans' ears off that were trying to take Jesus. 
I mean, he would curse. He would cut you. You know Christians like that. They'll curse and cut you. That's where my Spanish brothers and sisters, they'll cut you. They always, I'm just playing. Walked with Jesus for three years. He failed. He repents. Jesus reappears to him and says, listen, Peter, I'm going to use you. I'm going to restore you. Follow me. Peter goes to the upper room, and we preached about Pentecost Sunday, last Sunday. And you know what happened. The Holy Spirit gets poured out. He gets filled, and he goes out into the streets, and he changes the whole climate of the whole region. And one day, one sermon, 3,000 people in the streets, I'm not talking about a church building, got saved. He starts walking down the street and doesn't even realize what glory he's carrying. His shadow is walking by people who are bedridden, and they're getting up off the floor. And it's not because Peter has something special going on in his life. It's the fact that God is overshadowing him. It's the fact that God finally did a work in his life and tilled his heart. So now when he went into the upper room, he had the right soil in his heart. So when God sowed the Holy Spirit into him, it actually produced something. A life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. We say we have Jesus. We say we have the Holy Spirit, but there's actually evidence to that. Can I tell you the two things that where there's evidence that you know that a person is filled with the Spirit of God? You cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit and live a lifestyle that's other than holy. We might want to go out and um, you know do some painting work today. The, the tithing offering might be short when I preach like this. A life that is truly filled with the Spirit of God is that of a holy life. I didn't say you don't have to kill some things. I didn't say there's not attraction to certain things you shouldn't have attraction for. But a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit is holy. And here's the other second point that I want to get to. It's productive. It produces something. You know why I started this church? is because It's not because I think that we have it right. But I wanted to build something that was much different than every other church. I really, truly want to see God move in this place in exponential ways where truly people are truly being healed. People's lives are being transformed. People are truly getting saved. Truly are, people are truly uh, getting a life, that, a lovesick relationship with Jesus that they never had before. Religion can't offer you that kind of pro, uh, produce. Religion offers you come to church, go to service, have a 30-minute worship, listen to the word a little bit, and it produces nothing. We just go through the spiritual motions. But when you're truly filled with the Holy Spirit, it will produce something. It produces holiness. It produces you laying on hands on the sick and they, they get recovered. Come on, say something, somebody. It produces something in the believer's life where there's evidence that Jesus is in the house. In biblical times, they didn't have this beautiful Bible that we have now that consists of 66 books, not 66 chapters, 66 books, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, and yet they had no podcasts back then. They had no Facebook, no Instagram, not all these overload, information overloaded, in, you know, inspirational content, if you will. They didn't have all of that. But it forced them to seek God in different ways. We seek God, but just, you know, we scroll through a post and say, oh, that's encouraging. These people got on their knees and they sought God. They went after God. And due to that, it produced something in their lives that changed the climate of an entire region. And I am fearful for where the church is at right now, but I'm also hopeful for the future. 
There's a song by Jason Upton, and it is more like a poem, and I'd like to read it to you. I was listening to it this morning, and it popped up in my spirit. This not, may not work well through interpretation, but as you're interpreting, you can try to interpret. Anyway, it may not sound as great, but it says this. There was a time not long ago where the sun did shine and the sower sowed and the rain did rain and the crops did grow. A time before machinery. Church has turned into a machinery. A time before machinery. A time before certainty. A time before we bought the lie. A time before the farmer died. When I think about people's health issues, when I see what's happening in the world, you know, everybody going vegan and, and going to these different extremes is because the food we used to eat is not as safe as it once was, nor is the preaching. And we feed on the word, right? We feed on preaching. But do you want to know why I think we've produced certain types of Christians, believers? It's not because the word of God is not right. I think it's the way it's been dressed and fed and preached, right? And so what we have now physically, when we eat certain types of foods, I mean, how many, I'm 35, so I don't know how many of you grew up in the 80s and 90s, but maybe I was just a kid who wasn't listening, but there wasn't near as much cancer going on in the world. There wasn't near as much sickness and disease. Now it's one in every four, one in three people supposedly get cancer. And I begin to think to myself, it's because of what they're eating, the body's beginning to break down and malfunction. I also think about how this correlates spiritually. The reason why we're not producing much anymore is because we go and we get grass-fed in this, what we call Christianity, in church, and we get this, this pompous, prepared sermon that we just eat, and, and we're wondering why we're malfunctioning. We're wondering why we're not really producing anything in our lives. We're wondering because we got to get back to the way the farmer used to do it. The farmer got the rake and he tilled the ground up. He prayed. He sought the Lord. He sowed the seed. He physically watered it. Now we've got all this machinery to do all the work for us. Come on, the church is the machine. Come on, can't you see what I'm saying? It's turned into more like a machine and we wonder why we have no real relationship with God. We wonder why we're in worldwide chaos because we're living inside a machine and not getting a relationship with God ourselves. We're living our relationship through somebody who's on a pulpit versus living it privately for ourselves. But God is calling us to be producers, fruit producers. And if we're going to produce fruit, we have to get back to doing what they did in the old days. If you did what the disciples did, we will get what the disciples got. If we did what, if we do currently what the disciples and the apostles did, we will produce exactly what they produced. Somebody say, I want to produce. I want to produce. Second part of that verse I want to draw your attention to. Is this okay, guys? In Mark 14, uh, excuse me, Mark 14 through 15, on the back end of that verse, I kind of slid over it a little subtly. It says, uh, it says the one that is by the wayside, it's, uh, when the word is sown, when they hear it, Satan immediately comes and takes what was sown in their heart. Don't you forget that you have an adversary. When you come and you hear the word of God, it is up to the preacher to throw the seed out, but it's up to you to till the ground and water the seed. 
because you have an adversary who would like nothing more than to you to be a Christian, call yourself a Christian, go to church and read your Bible and to live a fruitless life. So his goal immediately is when truth penetrates the heart, his goal is to quickly steal the seed. Okay, you don't get what I'm saying. I used to read the word of God. Now when I read the word, I, re I retain very, very well. But I, I've become a student of the word. I read the word. I memorize it. And it's very easy for me to remember things now. But for the first 10 years of being saved, when I would read the word of God, it made no sense. And when I read it, I forgot it easily. Because, because I was immature in my faith, I didn't know how to water it. And so what Satan would do is when I would read something, because he knows that when you read something and it becomes, the only time it becomes transformative is when it becomes revelatory to the person. So when I would get that seed sown and I would read it or I would hear it from the pulpit, immediately it would get stolen. Don't forget that we are in a spiritual battle here. The enemy does not want you to produce in your life in your job, in your marriage, nor in your relationships. So it's up to us right when you hear the word of God, even today, what does watering it mean? When you, when you get the word, worship. Lord, I, that's why I love declaring. I plead the blood of Jesus. When I hear a good word, I'm like, Lord, I plead the precious blood of Jesus over this word that I've just received, over this information that I've just read, over the word of God. Because what the enemy wants to do, he's like the fowl of the air. He wants to come and snatch what was sown so that it doesn't become transformative and producing anything in your life because he wants you to be fruitless and God is wanting you to be fruitful. That's why he sowed. He's a sower. God's a sower. He sows seed and he reproduces all the time. Even if you look at the ecosystem, he has set up the world to reproduce continually between a man and a woman, between the trees, between the grass. God has made it to where even when you mow the grass, it throws seeds so it produces more grass, thicker grass, fuller grass. He's a seed sower. But the enemy, he is a seed stealer. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes. Everybody say the thief, meaning the evil one, meaning Satan. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, listen, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. So when you get the word of God sown in you, take care to water that seed and keep it protected from being stolen. Amen? Number two, I'm going to move on. I want to talk about the stony ground soil. Stony ground. Mark chapter 4, verse 16. I'm going to begin to move a little bit quickly here. Verse 16, it says, these likewise are the ones who are sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves. And so they endure only for a little time. Afterward, when tribulation comes, when they can't pay their bills, that's DSV version. I know it, look, some people are looking, they're like, does it say that? When their spouse leaves, when hard times come, when they get let off at their job, when they get laid off at their job, when they have marital issues, when persecution or tribulation arises for the word's sake, I love that, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Trials will come to test the depth of your relationship with God to see if you have a true root system. Trials will come. I want to tell you a quick story. From a young kid, I didn't really realize this. You know, I thought God didn't like me. 
Uh, it's hard to believe because I feel he's crazy about me now. And he's crazy about you. But I really didn't feel he liked me that much. I had a real struggle as a kid. They wanted to put me on Paxil back then, I think it was. How many remember that? It's the antidepressant. Went through a lot of stuff. Lost my, lost my dad at a young age. Went through trial after trial, even into adulthood. Went through a lot of, lot of tragedy. And I began to think to myself that God doesn't like me. Or, you know, I just wondered why things continued to happen in my life. And I was really worried um, that God didn't have anything great planned for my life. And as I grew in the Lord, I get saved and I started growing and I started realizing that that wasn't the Lord at all. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But life, Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. And so that became revelatory in my life and in my heart. So there was no residue nor question whether or not that God was good or had a plan in my life. And so I started walking out the calling of God in my life. And I was serving as an associate pastor at a ministry, went through a whole lot of, I, first I was uh, preaching a circuit in Orlando, would take different preaching engagements. And God was doing amazing things in these meetings. And, and short story is a few years back, I took an associate pastorate and still growing and still learning. But there was something in my heart that kept me from wanting to pastor full time. Just Can I be honest this morning? Are you guys tired of preachers not being honest? I was worried and I was reluctant to, to take a pastorate, a full-time pastorate, because I had been through so many things. My heart, it was hard for me. How do I say this? It was hard for me to relate to where some people were because I had been through so much. It's like if you get your hand chopped off and then you recover from it and then someone comes to you and wants to cry about their toe being stubbed. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? So I went to this pastor friend of mine and I said, I am worried that I, because when there are people who come to me with their problems and they're crying and I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, is that, you know, I, that's not really a hard thing to to, to get over. And so I was worried that I wouldn't be able to relate to people and love people well and shepherd people well. And so guess what I began to do? I said, Lord, I know I've lost my father. My father was murdered when I was young. I knew I had been through some relational issues and had a lot of things, just a lot of things happen to me to say the least. And so I asked the Lord, I said, will you deal with the stony heart? and make my heart of that of a child again. Restore the innocence of my heart so that I can care deeply, and not just say I care because I'm a pastor, but deeply care about people's needs. When they come to me, I want to weep with them when they weep. I want to rejoice when they rejoice. But I wasn't able to do that. And so what I did, and this is the, one of the things I feel is the most dangerous of all these different grounds is the stony heart. Because the stony heart, God can be trying to move on your behalf and he loves you and he's constantly pursuing you, yet you become blind to the fact that he's constantly pursuing you and wanting to do something in your life. You can have miracles happening all around your life all around your life and God trying to get your attention, but due to past pains and hurts, due to past pains and rejections, you will refuse the seed when he tries to sow it in your heart due to the hardness. So what Donnie did is I got out my rake and my shovel and I began to pray, God, remove this stony heart 
from my life and give me a heart of flesh. That's what the Bible says. I want to I want to I want to take out the heart of stone and I want to give you a heart of flesh. In other words, I want you to feel the feels. God wants us to feel. He wants us to care. He wants us to love, right? And so God began to work on my heart. And long story short is over just a couple months span, people would begin to tell me stories that I kind of, under my breath, kind of scoffed at. Like, are you kidding me? You can't pay your bills? And, and I would, where I would before would be like, that's no problem at all. I begin to hurt and feel what they begin to feel. And do you know, this may be controversial, but I want to hear my heart when I say this. And many preachers will not agree with me. And those of you online, there's some of you who may not agree with me. But as much time as I spend worshiping God, I also spend extracting things in my heart that shouldn't be there. Areas where I know I should have felt for people, I didn't feel. Areas that I knew that my heart should have been moved with compassion, I was a hardened person because of what I'd been through. So I spend oftentimes, as much time as I spend in the Word of God, as much time as I spend worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords and loving him, I still spend almost just as much time introspecting things that don't belong there because I cannot have anything in my life that takes precedence or takes up room that only belongs to one. And that's what we should do in our lives. And you have to be careful of the stony heart. If you're doing something to your spouse or a friend or a loved one and you know you should feel but you just are not feeling it, you should get on your knees and ask God to remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. If the word of God doesn't move you, it's not the word problem. Sometimes it's the preacher's problem. My God, sometimes it's the preacher's problem. Hallelujah. But most of the time, it's not a seed problem. It's not the sower's problem. It's the soil's problem. It's a heart problem. And if you want to produce in your life, in any area, we have to remove the heart of stone so that the soil of our heart is receptive and open so that when God sows something in, we are productive and produceful. Somebody say amen to that. And you have to be careful when God allows you to go through disappointment after disappointment because the trap is this. God doesn't intend for that to continue to happen. He intends it to groom you to make you better. The enemy wants to groom you to be hardened. Did you hear what I said? When people leave you, the enemy wants you to feel rejected and stay in your rejection because he wants it to interrupt your relationship and your receptivity to God. God wants you to see that as, hey, listen, anybody could leave you at any given moment, but know this, I'm a friend that will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you see the health in that? So what the enemy wants to do, he wants to keep you stuck so that when God tries to come and sow that seed or bring a godly relationship in your life, he wants the rejection from the past to keep you from perceiving your present present from heaven. And so we have to deal with the issues in our heart so that when God sows, we accept, and it doesn't fall by the wayside. It doesn't fall on stony ground. It falls on good ground. Number three, and I'm almost done. The seed that falls among the thorns. Everybody say the thorns. Mark chapter four, verse 18 through 19. If you'll put it up on the screen, Joel, it says this. Now these are the ones sown among thorns, they are the ones who hear the word. You see this? They hear it. But the cares of the worlds 
and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things entering in choke the word and they become unfruitful. I'm reminded of a story, the story of the young rich ruler. And this actually happened. This wasn't a parable. This is Jesus is walking down a dirt road and there comes a young man and he's rich and he's dressed well. He's well-spoken. He's well-spoken of. He has endless riches. His mom and his dad have groomed him to live for God. And the Bible says that he ran to Jesus and he fell down at his feet. And he says, teacher, good teacher, he called him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says something like this. You know the commandments. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness or don't lie. Quoting King James Version. I grew up reading King James Version. All those thou's. Do not bear false witness. Don't kill. Don't murder. Don't do any of these things that you know is against the Ten Commandments. And he says, look, all these things I've kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And Jesus knew that he went to the heart of the issue. He went to the, he went to the very heart of the issue, and he says this, you still lack one thing. Go sell everything that you have. Come and follow me. And can I tell you, this, 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 this emphasizes how important it is not to allow the seeds that God sows in your life emphasizes so much how we're not to allow that seed to fall among thorns. Because this guy came running, the Bible says. He bowed down. He was worshiping Jesus. But his heart wasn't bowed. He was bowed physically. He was in a position of physically bowing. Lord, you know, I'll give up anything. But soon as Jesus goes to the heart of the matter, because he knew that this man cared more about riches than he did about the perfect will of God. And we have to rid ourselves from any thorns that could choke out the word. You know, this speaks to me of, of, of most believers that I know. They love the Lord, but, but when the Lord asks you for something more than what you're willing to give, we turn away and we say no. And there are people all around the world who are willing to follow Jesus as long as it's convenient until he tells you to let something go that you hold dear to you. What do you hold dear to you this morning? What thorn do you have in your life that you're holding dear to you? What is pray, taking precedence in your life over your relationship with him? Oh, surely you may say, I'm nothing like that rich ruler. I'm not rich. I wouldn't take my job. As a matter of fact, I want a different job. But are you holding bitterness from the past closer in your heart? Is that a thorn in your heart that takes precedence in your heart? Is there unforgiveness? And when I say that word, I'm sure in the file of your mind, there's certain people that come up in your mind. What dominates your thoughts? What, what thorn in your life takes precedence here that disrupts and chokes out the word of God in your life? This man clearly, he clearly had an affinity for Jesus. He had a respect for Jesus. He had a love for Jesus. And like I said, he even bowed down and he worshiped Jesus. But Jesus wasn't the only thing he worshiped. Jesus must be the only thing that we worship. There are some people, and we wouldn't say this, but you know when my dad was killed for many years, for over a decade, I worshiped anger and revenge because it dominated my thinking. 
You may say, well, I don't worship my car. I barely wash it. (laughs) I don't worship money. I don't have much of it. But do you worship unforgiveness? Do you worship bitterness? Do you worship the TV? Do you worship Netflix? In comparison to the time that you spend with Jesus and your thought life and your heart life and your church life, does, is he outweighed in some area of your life? Is there some thorns that are among you in your heart that would choke out the word of God in your life and keep you from producing all that God would have you to produce in your life? You know what I often wonder? I wonder if this guy ended up seeing how Jesus lived and he died and he lived the rest of his life wondering what would God have done in my life had I rid myself of the thorns that choked the word, choked the opportunity out of a lifetime. He would have had the chance to follow Jesus and see the lame walk and the deaf hear and the blind see. He would have had eternal life. He would have been one of the pillars in heaven sitting on one of the thrones judging the world with Jesus. But he lost out because he chose riches. He chose something other than Jesus. I want to say this. A couple more things here. I'm going to hold you for about 10 more minutes if that's okay. I was thinking whether or not I should tell you this story. It's very close to home. Is it okay if I tell you a quick story? something recently that I've dealt with. I thought forgiving the murderer of my dad would be like, there's nothing I could overcome. No unforgiveness that I would ever overcome. Well, something happened a few years ago to someone that I would give my right arm to. Somebody I love, somebody it's very close in the proximity of home. Those of you who love me and our family, you know what I'm referring to. They were abused by someone, and they were hurt really, really bad, and um, to the point of where it's deserving of much prison time, and it couldn't be proven. So, so we had to go through years and years of counseling, and the counseling has just ended due to the traumatic experience that this person had from the abuse, physically, and just abuse on every, every side, every sense of the word. And so um, I have a family member who recently enrolled into a program a few months ago, and they are bunking with someone. So I went there to visit him. I usually go after Sundays to go visit this. It's a Christian program. So I go and I visit this individual, my my family member, and um, don't you know who his bunkie is? And so my brother, who's there visiting this family member with me, turns to me and says to me, God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? And I said, yes, he does, but pardon me if I don't laugh. And I begin to just think to myself, God, give it a, are you giving me, first of all, I was like, really, God? I mean, I text Matt Gilman, and Matt Gilman's like, I would kill him if I were you. I'm like, Matt, we can't, we're Christians. And Matt talked me off the cliff. 
He said, but you're a better man than me, but I'll still talk you off the cliff because I wouldn't do what you're doing right now. I don't understand your position on this. And, and I, said, I, said, I said, Matt, yes. I said, I, I, I want to be used of the Lord to the fullest. And if this is what it takes, if it's this type of forgiveness that it takes, if, if it's this type of extracting of the thorns in my heart that it takes for me to be used by God, then I'm willing to do whatever I need to do. I'm willing to forgive whoever I need to forgive to make sure that unforgiveness doesn't take precedence over my relationship with Jesus. And you know what? I I found out there are many Christians who love God, who want to be used by God and are used by God, but their use of God is limited because they refuse to dig out the thorns in their life to allow God to use them, not 30 and not 60, but 100 fold in their life. Solomon, who was one of the wisest men in the Bible, he was the richest man in the Bible, the word of God says. And you know, as I read that, and it talks about Solomon was the wisest. He was the chosen by God. But it says this, but he loved foreign women. Is there a but in your life? Is there a but? I didn't want my story to be like Solomon's because Solomon lived an amazing life. But you know what? His life ended, chosen by God. He ended up worshiping foreign gods, and God rejected him. I didn't want the end of my life to be, uh, Donnie was used by God. He forgave the murderer of his father. He, he forgave these people who hurt him and offended him. He, he forgave all these people, but he wouldn't forgive this person. He refused to remove this thorn in his life. Do you have a but in your life? Look at somebody and say, do you have a but? Not, don't look at a woman. You know, I laugh because I laugh. I laugh because my, my, my mom's maiden name is Arsenault. And you know what they say in all the Arsenaults and all of our family? They said, we don't have butts, we have what's. What is that? Do you have an asterisk? Do you have a dash? Do you love God, but you're not willing to let go of this or that? Look at somebody and say, let it go. Lastly, as you stand to your feet, was this good? I thought to myself, by the way, he loved women so much that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So he had, that was a... That was definitely a but in his life. I thought to myself, he couldn't have been that wise. I mean, I can barely handle one woman. All the fellas, all the men, say amen. <laughs> Good thing he was rich, too. It's a reason why God called them females is because they're males with fees. Did you catch that? They cost a whole lot of money. Say amen, Travis. We have to deal with the thorns in our lives. We have to deal with the thorns in our lives. Because if we don't, one day they will deal with us.
If we don't deal with the thorns in our lives, they will deal with us. Lastly, I want to talk about the good ground. In Mark chapter 4, verse 20, it says, But these are the ones sown on good ground. These or those are the ones who hear the word of God, accept it, bear it, some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. You know what's so interesting to me in this scripture? I never really noticed this. I only ever paid attention to the fact that there was a wayside ground, there was stony ground, there was thorns, and then there was good ground. But the Holy Spirit highlighted this for me. Some 30, some 60, and some 100. Because you can be okay ground, 30. You can be even good ground, 60. But God's desire is for us to be perfect. The Bible says, be perfect for your heavenly Father is perfect. It's not that we are perfect, but the ground in our heart is perfect. Ready and receptive to receive whatever he would have for us. Does that mean that you'll go out and produce a hundredfold, meaning you'll have a better job than someone else? No. Does it mean you'll have a mansion, have all the things that you want? No, that's not what hundredfold soil means. What it does mean is that that man or woman who has a mansion and has all the nice things in the world, you will be just as satisfied with whatever fruit God produces in your life. That's the blessing. You know what sin means? We over-spiritualize it. It means to miss the mark. It means to stop short of what God actually wants for you. There's a good and there's an acceptable, but then there's a perfect. I don't know about you, but I don't want to stop short of what God has for me in my life. And whatever it takes to remove whatever it is in my life to make sure that God has precedence, to ensure that I have good soil in my heart so that I'll produce 100-fold. What's the condition of your heart this morning? Is there an addiction? With all heads bowed, eyes closed. Is there an addiction that's choking out the seed that's being sown in your life? Is there abuse? Is there, is, is there, is there something in your past that is choking out God's word? When you get in his presence, you leave unchanged, unmotivated to do what he's called you to do? Unwilling to be obedient to him no matter the cost, no matter what it would cost you? Is, is there something in your heart that you felt God should do in your life, but he didn't? Is it a failed relationship, marriage? Now you can't trust people? My friend, can I tell you, you cannot mistrust people and it not pollute your relationship or your view of God. Maybe it's something that you felt God should have protected you or a loved one from, but he didn't protect them. What's in your heart? Is it a betrayal? Is it unforgiveness? What is it? Do not ignore the warning signs of compromised soil, of polluted soil. Don't ignore it. And if the Holy Spirit is highlighting something, let him highlight it. That's called sanctification. The Holy Spirit comes to cleanse you. 
You know why he comes to clean house? So he can fill the house. And Lord, I pray that's exactly what would happen this morning. Before we go have lots of fun, I pray that you would clean my house, clean my heart. I'm reminded of the scripture before I close. It says, rend your heart and not your garments. In other words, don't worry about the outward stuff. Don't, don't, don't rend your garments, but rend your heart. Open your heart afresh this morning. Whatever it is that's in your life or your heart, whatever's in the soil of your heart that you know is tainting your relationship with God, whatever is interrupting your relationship with God, whatever is hurting your relationship with God. My friend, can I tell you, if you're hurting in a relationship, I can guarantee it's hurting your relationship with God and skewing your view of Him. So I pray this morning that this word would sink so deep in your heart, so deep in the soil of your heart that it would produce not 30, not 60, but 100 fold. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.